Friends, good morning. Good morning, and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. It's good to see all of you on a warmish day. Uh, my name is Matthew. I am the senior pastor here, and uh, right now, um, there are some of us here who uh, are here every week, and there are others of us who are, who are just reconnecting to churches or connecting to our church for the first time. And so however you find yourself in the pews or on the live stream today, uh, glad that you could be with us. Uh, we are in a phase of life right now where everyone is trying to reform connections to things that are meaningful. And that is also true for us as a church. And as, uh, as of just recently, we've had a chance to do some of that together. And so um, some of you might have some sunburn, right? From, from an event we had yesterday, we are trying to relearn how to do potlucks together. And so uh, for those who were able to join us at Fairwoods Recreation Center yesterday, uh, it was a great time. Um, and the food was very good which was not surprising because it was a church potluck, right? Uh, but I want to thank all of you who contributed uh, time and energy and hours of your Saturday to that. And if you missed it, don't worry, because we're going to do it again. Uh, on July 30th, we were able to invite some friends from other churches to be with us. We're going to do that again on July 30th. Uh, we'll have more details coming in the following weeks about that. Um, but for now, here on Sunday... Uh, Let's get started with our worship. So, so when we worship, um, we're gathering in the presence of God, and we get to, we get to say the things that matter, uh, that resonate with our souls, and we get to speak that together with each other, and we also get to speak that to God in His presence. And so, friends, gathered here in this place, would you rise? And let's say our call to worship. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to see you this morning. As we gather here today, let's look to the heavens and put our trust in the Lord. Mm. I hope Father, who spoke the heavens into being the words of wisdom through his Through Christ, all things were made. In Christ, all things on earth in heaven are being reconciled by the peace he made on the cross. Now in the power of the Spirit, we pray and wait for the Lord in whom all treasures, wisdom, and knowledge. Father in heaven, send your spirit of wisdom upon us this morning that we might know you better. God of wisdom, speak your revealing words to us that we, may that we might know the hope to which you've called us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Speak, Lord. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of the enemy. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, and heaven comes to fight for me.
inside of me. I raise a hallelujah. I want to watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the mystery. the power of sin and 
so influenced by this world that we demand signs and seek worldly wisdom as proof of your existence. Forgive us when we get caught up in the 
quest for achievement and the power of getting ahead. Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, set before us the wisdom of the cross once more and have mercy on us. Strengthen us to do your will. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Now take a moment in silent confession. God's foolishness is wiser than any human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than any human strength. For the world may see the message of the cross as foolishness. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. On that cross, Jesus Christ became our redemption. Through Christ, we are forgiven. Please rise in body or spirit and join us as we continue in our worship. You never leave my 
friends, the peace of Christ is with you. Now let's spread the Lord's uh, peace with, uh, with your neighbors. It's now time to dismiss our Kid Street kids. The people of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us wonderful, never stop, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. Lord be with you. And also with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Well, it is good to see all of you again from this spot. Uh, today, as we are worshiping together, we are having a chance to confess and to express the things uh, that we need to say um, that are important to us and that we need to hear God expressing and confessing over us. Uh, this is a give and take that we do in church. It's a dialogue. And having been reminded of our need of God, the ways that we've lived in foolishness, and God's wisdom in coming to us, we have the strength and the safety that we need to continue this conversation in prayer. We get to do that together now, and I'm going to offer a congregational prayer on our behalf, but this is our prayer. So as I voice names and concerns that are also yours in your own heart, feel free to join me in lifting those things up. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of perfect, loving community, we praise and thank you, O oh God, this morning that out of your fullness you have opened up a place to us through Jesus to be part of that community. Your love and your fellowship, your communion is poured out and available to us today 
through words of forgiveness, and soon through bread and wine. Thank you, O God, for feeding us with words of forgiveness and grace and hope that our lives too can be transformed. And if our lives, even this world, grateful for your gifts and nourished by your promises, we offer you our prayers. God of compassion, we remember this morning the poor and the afflicted, the sick, those who are dying, prisoners and all who are lonely, victims of war or injustice or inhumanity, and all those who suffer from whatever their sufferings are called. We lift up to you people displaced by wars like the one in Ukraine, those displaced by flooding in Guangdong province in southern China, and the people of Shanghai. We lift up to you those all over the world who are struggling to meet rising costs for food, for fuel, for formula. Closer to home, we bring to you people and stories whose names are dear to us. We lift up to you Audrey and Kathy and Hank and Bev and Carol as they navigate life with considerable pain and complex issues that take a long time to heal from. Lord, we lift up to you Julie and Scott, who've recently lost parents. We lift up to you also Dwayne, whose very life feels like answered prayer. We lift up to you Jacob and the good news that this little guy is home and healing and growing. We lift up to you Deb V., after a successful cancer surgery and a remarkable recovery. Lord of Providence, you hold the destiny of not just us, but all of the nations in your hands. And so we pray for our country. Inspire the hearts and minds of our leaders as they together with our nation seek first your kingdom and righteousness so that order and liberty and peace may go well for your people. We acknowledge a significant ruling from the Supreme Court this week overturning a federal law about abortion. For many in this country, this has been a theme of prayer and a deep conviction for many, many years. It is our hope that this decision will result in the valuing and saving of life and children's lives and infants. But we also recognize this morning that it's not that easy and that the work of being truly pro-life requires a womb-to-tomb commitment. We know that there is much work to be done in providing for and valuing also the poor and the marginal and the stranger within our country, those who cannot work and those who have not been given the opportunity. And so we also pray for them, for they too are among the voiceless and the vulnerable. We ask, God, that you would empower leaders to make good laws that protect and nurture life in all its many forms. And today, this decision, this news affects all of us. And so we pray, too, for those who have lost children and who have terminated pregnancies, those who are pregnant now and find themselves at a loss for what to do and who are without community or safety. We pray, O oh God, that you would empower your church to be present for these women also. 
Lord God, you hold this nation in your hands and the whole world. And so, our creator and sustainer, we pray for all nations and peoples. We ask that you would take away the mistrust and lack of understanding that divide creatures and peoples and countries. We ask that you would give us eyes to see the image of God in one another. As people being conformed to your image in Jesus, we ask, O Savior, that you would look upon your people, your church, as we struggle upon the earth. For we are struggling. As another week's news sends shockwaves through your congregations, fault lines and fractures are more and more apparent. Lord, have mercy on your church's weakness. Bring an end to all of its unhappy divisions and scatter its fears. Look also upon the ministries of your church. Increase the church's courage. Strengthen its faith and inspire our witness to all people, even to the ends of the earth. This weekend, we give you thanks for our brother and friend, Mark, who could come and be with us to hear and to strengthen and encourage our faith. We ask that you'd be with him today as he travels home to his family and his congregation and community. And we pray also for our brothers and sisters in their worship nearby, for our brothers and sisters at Village Congregational and up the street at Fairlawn and nearby in Emmaus City and a little bit further away at Resurrection Church East Boston and close by at the river and also next door at Avery Street. Author of Grace and God of Love, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit's blessing to all your children gathered here as well. To us, keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Savior. Amen. Worship is a dialogue, a giving and receiving of both things that we say to God and that He says to us, but also a giving and receiving of practices. And so not only do we voice things, but we also give things. And so we have a moment now as a congregation to offer up some of what God has given to us for our offering. And today is special because we are remembering something we haven't done for more than two years. We are going to be passing offering plates. And so I want to thank the deacons who've worked hard to help figure out how we could administrate this together and our our worship leaders who are going to be guiding us in song. Uh, let's respond to God's grace together by giving our offering. Oh, Lord, 
Today, today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, 8, 1 through 11, 9, 1 to 6, 9, 13 through 18. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, Knowledge and discretion for the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice, all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright for those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. 
Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. New Sunday, new series. After spending many months together in the Gospel of John, uh, you might be feeling a little whiplash. We're going to the Old Testament. We're moving from narrative to pithy sayings that we call the Proverbs. This summer, we'll be looking at those things together. If you've ever read the book, it can be a little bit hard to, to gather it together because it jumps all over the place. So we'll try to group some of the Proverbs together around themes addressing wisdom. Let's get started. Would you pray with me? Wise and loving God, our vision. The world around us is complex, and it is not always clear what the next right step to take is, O God. As people who have stepped into this place, from all the various questions and complexities of our own lives, we sit together now, longing and looking for a word from you that is good, that points us in the way that we should go. We want to live. And so we ask by your Spirit that you would come now and that you would take these ancient words and make them wisdom for us. Amen. The little four-door sedan bounces along the dirt road, kicking up a cloud of dust. From behind the wheel, the young pastor looks out through the windshield at a landscape of Nebraska farmland. His first parish. With a seminary degree hot off the press, the family moved all the way from St. Louis, and this little Presbyterian church is his first charge. The pastor's face is as fresh as the one in the passenger seat next to him is weathered. One of the elders accompanies this young pastor on a visit to a family outside of town, and they bounce and rattle down the dirt road, rocks pinging at the undercarriage while the young pastor white-knuckles the wheel. It's quite a ride. It's a quiet ride between the two men, because most of the conversation is happening between the tires and the springs and the frame and the road. Eventually, the elder does speak up, hand-holding to the overhead handle on the passenger's side, and he points a, a thick finger to the middle of the road, and he says, Drive the good, son. Drive the good. The young pastor had been driving down the right side of the road as if it was a city street, which is the only streets he'd ever known. He did not know that on a dirt road in Nebraska, you drive in the middle. And it was his elder who told him the way to navigate this strange new world. It was the voice of wisdom. His elder taught him how to drive the good. I learned that story from one of my church pastors when I was growing up, and he told it to me at a time when his own face had become creased and worn with experience. It was his story about the day that he finished his seminary education and began his apprenticeship to wisdom. 
You see, in seminary, Pastor Steve learned his church history and his theology and how to parse Greek verbs, and all that knowledge is very, very important, but it was in a congregation that he began to learn something else, that he began to learn about wisdom. It's the kind of learning that can only be done by looking people in the eyes and listening to their voices, learning from people who make decisions in a world that turns out sometimes to be, well, rather poorly paved and sometimes barely marked at all. And this morning I tell you that story because if in fact you were to read the opening words of Proverbs chapter 1, which we heard with a Nebraska accent, which I didn't ask Annika to do for us, they might actually sound very much like the words of that elder in the passenger seat. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't forsake your mother's teaching. Or, in other words, walk the good, son. Walk the good. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And wisdom, as the Bible wants us to see it, is a way It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of behaving and acting in the world. It's more than that, though. It's a way of life. Proverbs is a book that opens to us today with a little bit of dirt falling out from the pages. Not so much because the words are very old, though they are certainly that. These Proverbs claim a lineage that goes all the way back to Solomon son of David. But it's not ancient dust between these pages as we open our Bibles this morning. It's dirt. (laughs) Proverbs is full of words that are about as down to earth as you can get. Wisdom fashioned from the long stretches of road in this world. And why, why are we talking about wisdom right now, you ask? It's a good question. Because we live in a world of alternative facts and fake news. And honestly, sometimes we have trouble telling the difference between what is real and what is a lie. Proverbs 1 would tell us that when you can't tell what's false information anymore, we don't have a news source problem, we have a gullibility problem. Solomon's words are meant to give prudence to the simple, Proverbs 1 tells us. Why are we talking about wisdom right now? Well, because it just so happens that the world that we live in has become very complex, right? We are, some of us, realizing just how prevalent racism, abuse, violence, oppression are in our world. And it seems sometimes as though complicity is around every corner, And the result of that is that I think for many of us, we are realizing just how difficult it can be to do the right thing, to do what is actually right and just and fair. Turns out the Proverbs of Solomon are designed to help us to know just what is right and just and fair. Why are we talking about wisdom right now as a church? Well, because... Because the world that you and I live in, it has to be navigated. Anyone trying to buy a house or date online 
or care for aging parents or raise children knows this almost instinctively, right? The right thing to do is not always black and white. Most of the decisions that we are making in our lives right now are not in the realm of good or evil. Most of them are in the realm of wise or unwise, thoughtful or foolish, rash or settled. And for all of us, life after the pandemic continues to reveal things that we, we did not expect. And so the road that we are walking turns out to be rather poorly paved and sometimes barely marked at all. And what we want to know is how do we walk the good? And that's why this summer we're going to spend some time in the School of Wisdom. Right, so a few things about Proverbs then. They're collections of these short, pithy sayings. They come from the sages of Israel. And they're interested in helping us to know how to live the good life, how to navigate with the wisdom of God. One of my favorite scholars, her name is Ellen Davis, and she once described wisdom like this. It's in your bulletin, actually. Proverbs is concerned with the same things that we worry about, how to avoid bitter domestic quarrels, what to tell your kids about sex and about God, what to do when somebody asks you to lend them money, how to handle your own money and your work life, how to cultivate lasting friends. The sages whose sayings make up Proverbs are interested in the art of living well with others, with ourselves, with God. I would like us for a minute to imagine Proverbs as a school of wisdom. And the sages, like the best of Israel's wisdom professors. And these Proverbs are like the curriculum for how to live a successful life. What are they trying to teach us? We can hear it right there in that beginning, in those first eight verses that we read in this poem that gives us a preface for what all of this is about. And I wonder if, if this is a school... If we could imagine that opening section of Proverbs like, like a college admissions brochure. At King Solomon University, you're the simple-minded student, and we'll discipline you to learn wisdom so you can live with righteousness and justice and equity. Admissions must be done in person and face-to-face. -face. Tuition will cost you your life's devotion. King Solomon creating lifelong students who never really graduate. Enroll now! <laughs> and any of you who happen to be receiving college admissions brochures will notice that that is not exactly how we are selling things, is it? No, no. When we talk about education, when we talk about formation and learning, we don't talk so much about conforming our lives to the patterns of those who have gone before us we don't talk about conforming our lives to virtues that will form us to live well with others and with God. We talk about knowledge as much as possible in the shortest time possible for as cheaply as possible. We talk about mastering information. We encourage our young to master knowledge. Lord knows my parents did to get degrees that prove it so that they will have expertise in things. And with expertise, Lord willing, we hope a decent job. This is what's important to us. And it's, it's not a new idea, by the way. In fact, 
It goes back a long time. Did you know that the most powerful people in Mesopotamia and Egypt were the scribes? Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Well, it's because they could read and they could write. Writing was the most powerful form of technology that they had. And master scribes controlled the information of their culture. In fact, in Egypt, in ancient cultures, they have proverbs, much like we do today, right? And one of them in Egypt went like this. Study hard, learn to write, there is a future for a good scribe. I feel like I've heard that before. Study hard, learn to do math, there is a good future for a scientist. And there is, right? I, don't, don't misunderstand me. This is true. A great future is possible with specialized knowledge in certain specialized fields, right? It's no wonder that we've devoted ourselves to it because, because well, specialized knowledge has given us air travel and antibiotics, Netflix and social networks, and a quality of life that would be embarrassing to most of our ancestors, but if we're going to be honest, we must also notice that specialized knowledge gave us the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror and two world wars and the efficiency of the Holocaust. Some say that when Albert Einstein heard that the atomic bombs had been dropped on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he said... It goes to show that you cannot do whatever you want. Wow. Einstein was talking about what happens when we pursue knowledge without wisdom. He was talking about what happens when people only ever ask themselves, can I do this? Can, is it possible? Can we do this? And they forget to ask, should we? Should we? talking about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? And it was St. Augustine a long, long time ago who put it pretty precisely when he said that the difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom cannot be used for evil. And I think we all know that knowledge so easily is. But why am I telling you this, right? Maybe it's interesting, maybe not. I don't know, but what's the point? Why am I going on about specialized knowledge with a degree from an institution that gave me specialized knowledge? It's ironic, I realize this, for this reason. Because life in our world has to be navigated. Because we need meaningful jobs that pay the bills and because we want to know what matters and how to live and it's not entirely clear. We need to do right by people in our society. And we keep looking to knowledge and information to do this for us. But knowledge is not able to get us there. I'm reading a novel right now, and it's set a little bit in the future, and it follows four young adults who all work at Temps, at a giant tech company. And in their stories, one of the characters, her name is Lauren, Lauren talks about how working for this giant tech conglomerate was the last thing that she ever wanted to do. It was the death of every ideal that she had in life. 
She had gone to college, and she had studied something very practical and employable, Greek and Roman myth. I can almost hear her fictional parents groaning. And well, lo and behold, she graduated with a classics major, and would you believe it, she couldn't find a job. So in this story, she's barely making rent, and she can't find a decent guy to go on a date with, and she feels totally lost. And then one day, her roommate, who is stable and who has a good job, she says, you know, you should download this app on your phone. This is fictional, right? The app is called Concierge. And what the app does is it, it takes all of Lauren's deeply personal and private information, and it crunches it with an algorithm, and then it tells her what to do with her life. It tells her what jobs to apply for. It tells her who to date, and it sets up the dates. It tells her when she should exercise based on the way that her heart rate is going and her metabolism and all these things. It tells her what she should eat. It tells her when there's sales at the grocery store. It wakes her up in the morning reminding her of what appointment is coming up next. And this is a novel, right? Okay, this is fiction. But just barely. And what the writer of this story I think is trying to tell us or show us is this, is that all of us are looking for ways to make decisions in a complex world where many times we don't know what to do. And so we feed these devices with all of our personal information. We trust that they will be able to guide us better than we can guide ourselves. And if all of that sounds like something we used to do with God, then I think we're getting it. Ancient cultures like Egypt, they excelled in things that, that we would call abstract knowledge. Astronomy, architecture, engineering, medicine, fine arts. But do you know what's interesting? Ancient Israel leaves us lots of, of a wisdom tradition. And from what we can see that, to that and what we know of their culture, they seem to invest, have invested almost nothing in these things. Instead, all that Israel's educators and teachers seem to have cared about is how to live well with our neighbors and live faithfully in the presence of God. They didn't seem to want people to be able to master their world. They wanted them to know how to inhabit it. What they wanted for their students was to have wisdom. And, and wisdom, if there's one thing that we see here at the beginning... It's that wisdom is personal. Did you notice that these sages in Israel, they describe wisdom as someone to know and relate to? Proverbs describes wisdom not as an it, but a she. Now, I want you to notice that the sages are describing wisdom as a woman, and in this ancient culture, these are proverbs addressed to young men. Right? And so the sages want to make a personal relationship with wisdom seem as desirable as possible. And so they do that in a way that makes sense to young male students. They talk of wisdom as a woman who is both alluring and intelligent. She is captivating and she is capable. She has a very public presence and yet she is extremely rare. 
But to look deeper beyond that, what we also see is that Proverbs, in the end, is not about sages trying to convince us that we want wisdom, but to help us to see that it is wisdom herself who calls for students. She calls in public, and her call is for everybody. Wisdom is not for the elite of a society only, the ones who can get in, right? It's not only for the naive. It's not even only just for the poor. To get into wisdom school, you don't need recommendations or good test scores. In fact, the only prerequisite for coming to wisdom's house is hearing her call. Wisdom calls, and anyone with a heart and with ears to hear is welcome at her table. For she welcomes her students, not to a classroom, but a meal. A meal in a seven-pillared house at the highest point in the city. And the stakes are high because she is not the only one calling. Folly. She will call you to her house too. And it will make sense. And it might seem like the right thing to do. And everybody else might be going there too. But the sages tell us that what they don't know is that to be in that house is to eat with the dead. Friends, you don't have to be an ancient Israelite male to get the longing that the sages are conveying to us today. They're telling us that wisdom is someone to know, someone that we can relate to. Wisdom is someone that we can set our heart on. Wisdom is so desirable that it will make you want to sell everything you have because you have found something even more precious. And wisdom can also make the hair on the back of your neck stand. Because when you find yourself in the presence of wisdom, you will know what it is to be both captivated and terrified at exactly the same time. You will be filled with awe and terror. And when that happens, the sages tell us, you have discovered the fear of the Lord. And this fear is the beginning of wisdom because it is, the only, it, and it is the only way to get out of the house of the dead. You know, in ancient cities, there was only one house that had pillars that was set at the highest point of the city. Do you know what it is? It was the temple. It was the place where the gods dwelled. What the sages are telling us is that if you want to know how to live in the world, get to know the God of Israel. And that is because this God calls for students, for disciples. At other temples, you have to go and get the God's attention. And then you have to get their favor. And then you have to not fail them. But this is the God of Israel. And the difference between Yahweh and all other gods is that in this temple, you are meeting the living God. And this God doesn't have to be roused from slumber or convinced that he should help you. This is not someone to be appeased, my friends. This is someone to be desired and known and who makes himself known to us. And nothing says that more clearly than this, that Israel's God, the living God, sets a table and invites all who would come to share a meal to learn wisdom over dinner with the living God.
Friends, the most remarkable move of the New Testament is to show us that Jesus, who comes from where? Nazareth? Does anybody know where that is? Is in fact wisdom because he is God in the flesh. The thing that looks like foolishness is the embodiment of wisdom itself. And when we watch Jesus in the Gospels, we see Jesus who filled the temple scholars with all at his wisdom at the age of 12. They don't know how he did that. And the Gospels show us Jesus, who in a place like Luke 11 claims that he himself is wiser than the queen of Sheba, wiser even than Solomon. And in his wisdom, on the last night of his life, he has dinner with his disciples. He shows us what wisdom looks like when he presides over a table that only has bread and wine on it. And it points to his body and his blood shed on the cross. It points us to God's forgiveness for all of the foolishness that we have participated in. All of the ways that in our ignorance we have not known what we were doing. It points to our naivete. We thought we were the good guys. And it shows us just how gullible we were because we were serving evil and we did not even realize it. And thanks be to God, it is Paul who reminds us that, that God uses the cross which looks like the dumbest thing in the world and the most appalling thing that you could imagine to show us the wisdom of God. And it is wise Jesus who says to us, come sons, come daughters. Everything is ready. Come and eat. It's good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in a world of competing calls and claims about the good life and what is worth our time and attention and what will help us to navigate things, we ask this morning that strange as it might be that you would take these ancient words and the words that we have spoken together and that somehow they would be, by your Spirit, your call to us to come and follow you, to give up the things we think are life in order to find life, to come to the one who said, I thirst, so that we could be satisfied. Amen. And friends, it turns out you didn't have to travel far. Just from right there to right here. For the Lord has prepared this table and for anyone and everyone who would like to come who feels their thirst and their need of it, they are invited to come with gladness. Today, we are celebrating communion and like with our offering, we are remembering something that we haven't done for a while. So we'll be patient and we'll try to help each other. We're going to be passing offering, uh, excuse me, communion elements to each other, and the elders are going to help us to do that together well, and our band is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in song through that. But before we do those things, would you pray with me? Friends, the Lord be with you. 
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of wisdom and truth, we give you heartfelt thanks for the joy of your creation, the abundant praise, and abundant praise for the grace of your liberating love. You gathered the twelve tribes of Israel and spoke your word to Elijah and your prophets. And in the fullness of time, your son gathered twelve disciples and walked the way of the cross, which John the Baptist pointed as the way for him and for us. And after his great passion and suffering, Jesus rose to glory on the third day. And so, with the host of heaven, we gather around your throne and proclaim together your unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Suffering God, your son knew betrayal and denial and pain and death. In his broken body, we see the extent of your love for us and the depths of our rejection of you. Send your spirit upon those gathered here that this meal may be an outpouring of your love and a healing of our rejection. And that these offerings of bread and wine may be for us the body and blood of your son Jesus, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, before he suffered, the Lord Jesus took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them saying, this is my body, I mean, this is my blood which is poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink this, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes again. And great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Expectant God, by your denial we are accepted in Christ. Be close to all who have felt denial by those whom they have come to trust. In Christ you took up a cross, and we ask that you would give strength to all those who carry crosses today. You call us to follow in the way of life and truth and peace. Draw near to any who dwell amid hostility and discord. And as your son lost his life in order to save us, Show your church where it can gladly lose in order to save and be saved. Put a song in every weary throat that celebrates the day of your coming and open our eyes to see that great day even now when the holy angels and Son of Man comes in power of the Spirit and the glory of the Father. We pray this, ever one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are sorry for their sins and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these 
are the gifts of God for the people of God. I want to invite our worship leaders to come forward. The elders will be passing uh, both elements one after the other. So hold on to your cup and your piece of bread. If you would prefer to use a single serve uh, package, we have those. Let me know and I'm happy to bring them to you if you don't have one. Let's celebrate the meal together. Worship is 
Brothers and sisters, today we remember that we didn't even have to come to the table, it came to you. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Remembering those of us who are serving downstairs and our children who are there and also those of you at home, friends, take your cup, take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Fed, nourished, it is right that we should stand and we should say thank you. We, could, we should proclaim together what the Lord has done for us and is doing even now. Let's do that together with the Apostles' Creed. Together we say, I believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, Friends, God has yet one more gift to give you, and that is his blessing. Would you lift your eyes? I'd invite you to open your hands and receive it. Bless this congregation, Lord, in which believers are encouraged by God's gracious blessing and challenged by God's gracious call to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to live as a healing presence in the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. And friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.